0: Amen. So everyone, everyone prepares for travel differently. I want to talk about that for a moment. My wife is really good. When we're heading off on a family trip, she begins to prepare for uh, our family trip, our travels, like as much as a week ahead of time, a little bit at a time, step by step, uh, getting things out, getting things ready, and that works out pretty well. And I'm a little different. And uh, sometimes I may think about packing ahead of time, or I may make a list on my phone or on a piece of paper, uh, but I don't often actually start packing until what some people might call the last minute. Uh, Sometimes that works out uh, pretty well for me. I'm able to sort of think and bring everything together all all of a sudden and at the last moment. And sometimes I end up in panic packing. That's what I call it, panic packing. Do we have any other panic packers out there this morning? Yes, a few up here, one, 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 thank you. Yeah, Uh, interesting existence. People start packing at different times and people pack differently also in volume. Some people travel really lightly, some people pack the kitchen sink. So my mom comes to visit periodically and uh, every time she comes and I pick her up from the uh, airport at the curb, she shows up with this little bitty, little bitty uh, sort of, I don't even know if you can call it a, a suitcase or luggage, just a little bitty thing. And I'm like, Mom, where's your luggage? Thinking, Mom, she must have forgotten her luggage on the carousel and just come straight to the curb. Mom, where's your luggage? How did you? She's like, this is it. This is all I brought. How did you get your all your stuff into that little coin purse? Uh... And she manages to pull it off, whereas I, on the other hand, uh, going on a trip, usually it's about 30 pounds minimum for me of stuff, books and just other stuff, and this is kind of unfortunately my story, still learning. So how many light packers do we have out there this morning and at home? Raise your hand at home, sure. And how many, how many heavy packers? Yeah, all right. I can relate. So how many of you also forget stuff when you travel? okay. How many of you are forgetters? And how many of you, almost always when you travel, you've got everything you wanted to bring. You never forget anything. How many of there are? A few of you. Rod raises his hand and his wife, Christy, slaps it down. (laughs) All right, I love the honesty. This morning, uh, as we continue in our study of Mark's gospel, we're going to look at uh, a way of packing and how Jesus uh, taught, encouraged, and led, instructed his disciples to pack and prepare for travels. Before we do that, though, let's pray together one more time. God, uh, help us to be attentive to you. We live busy and distracted lives. I do. All of us here in various ways do. Help us to be attentive to you, to your life, to your world to your reality, to your intentions, to your hope, to your love, to your goodness, to your plan and your plans. Uh, Give us ears that are good to hear, hearts that are fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my word is true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your unchanging word, may they be quickly forgotten. In the name of Jesus, amen. So reading from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning at 6b, the second half of verse 6. Listen closely, this is God's Word. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. We read that last week. Calling the twelve his twelve closest disciples to him, Jesus began to send them out two by two and gave them authority. And we've seen that word a number of times and that idea a number of times already in Mark's Gospel, uh, Jesus has authority like no one else in a variety of ways and over a variety of things. Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits, which in Mark's Gospel and the other Gospels is synonymous with uh, evil spirits, demons. Impure spirits, evil spirits, demons. Jesus gives them authority over such Verse 8, these were Jesus' instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They, in other words, the twelve, went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And here we are in a new section of Mark's gospel and a new stage now in Jesus' relationship with his disciples. First, Jesus called four men to himself. Then he calls eight more, so they're up to twelve. And he calls them to be with him. He calls them to watch and see what he is doing, to listen to what he is preaching and teaching, to see how he interacts with people, to witness his ministry in its various forms. And now, having done that for some period of time, Jesus sends. Jesus sends these 12 on a trip. But not before Jesus prepares them for their travels. Jesus prepares them for their going. Jesus prepares them for their mission. This is what you are to take and not take. This is what you are to pack and not pack. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. And while the world in which we live today in our context is really different than the one in which and to which and into which Jesus preached, taught, and lived, for example, most of us rarely leave home without some sort of currency or credit on us in our possession. There is much more for us to learn from here, much more that Mark wants us to understand much that Mark wants to convey, much that we can learn still in a completely different context from Jesus. A staff then was helpful for navigating bumpy and uneven roads and paths in first century Palestine. A staff could be used to protect one from wild animals. But the sidewalks on which we walk, the roads on which we travel are much smoother, safer, easier than in the first century. We don't have to contend with wild animals, and so we don't carry staffs and don't need to take that literally in our following Jesus. But what of Jesus' instructions about no bread, no bag, no money, no suitcase, no luggage? The message of Jesus was and is, travel lightly in view of the urgency of Jesus' message. 2,000 years later, and with Jesus not yet having returned, we have lost some of that urgency that we need to feel in this passage. But Mark's message is the same. Travel lightly in view of the urgency of the gospel, of people hearing it, of people responding to it, of people embracing God's kingdom and God's reign in their midst. Urgency. Jesus sought to free people from the encumbrances of heavy loads, of that backpack that that Gladys talked about, of the luggage that we carry around us, of the things we pack and feel like we must hang on to and stay attached to physically. Travel lightly also to demonstrate one's detachment or freedom from the things of this world, the things that the world says that we have to have with us. Travel lightly as a means of depending on the hospitality of those to to whom one is sent, of those to whom one goes, which would require one engaging others actively and the things that we carry and the things that we surround ourselves with end up as barriers between us and other people eventually. Travel lightly so that you may remain nimble, adaptable, flexible along the way to follow however God leads to pivot ready to be interrupted as we talked about a couple of weeks ago travel lightly in the manner uh, in the manner of Jesus who left everything behind in his father's presence and humbled himself think of all the stuff that Jesus had that he could have traveled with a large entourage with when Jesus came to earth when he was manifest But Jesus traveled lightly as a symbol of his humility and letting go and dependence on his Father. Travel lightly as a sign of trust in God that the Lord will provide for one's needs. Today, before we send out missionaries, the usual sending experience takes months and sometimes years of fundraising, of gathering all that's needed, of preparing before going. And much of that is prudent and wise. I would not disagree with much of how we prepare to send long-term missionaries today. And yet, what in the midst of that would Jesus have us remember as important? And not just for those hallowed missionaries who go to the other side of the earth, but to each of us as well. Today, we may may want uh, seminary training or years of going to church or all of one's biblical, theological, or apologetic ducks in a row before going out but there is an urgency Jesus communicates to his sending and an urgency to Jesus message that says go now unencumbered don't worry about the things of the world engage people trust God you can do this God will help take a staff and sandals yes Take along with you the basics, yes, but do not load up on everything and other things, all of the comforts and all of what end up being the securities of home. Make sure that you leave space and room for dependence on God, for trusting God, for attendant, attentiveness to those to whom one is sent. And Jesus sent them out in twos, Mark reminds us, Mark tells us. To assure the validity of their witness in a Jewish court of law, two witnesses were required for something to be true and for a conviction. And Jesus sent them out in twos as a sign of their participation in a community of faith in a living, organic community or body. Many Christians try to do the Christian life alone. The clear message of the scriptures and of Jesus is do it with others. And Jesus sent them out in twos so that if one fell down, there would be another to help him or her up. We know that verse from Ecclesiastes that is almost only ever read at weddings, but is true in all of life. And Jesus sent them out in twos for mutual encouragement. And Jesus sent them out in twos as a reminder that his message would not be dependent on one person's spectacular gifts or on the charismatic personality of one person, but instead on the nature of the message itself and on the spirit imbued in it, in the spirit and by the spirit who suffuses it. And Jesus sent them out in twos as a reminder that they were not on or with their own authority But in and with the authority of another, given to them by another, by Jesus himself. And this was an interesting choice that God made, that Jesus made. Jesus could have presumably continued to do the work of ministry himself. We would all agree with that, I think. He was able, he could have continued to be a one man operation. He was getting good traction. He was seeing great results. People everywhere were following him, just sort of all around the Sea of Galilee in that part of Palestine. He was changing the world. In a world where there wasn't internet or email or texting or mass communication, people were hearing about, knowing about, and following and flocking to Jesus. This was all going pretty well on his own. And so Jesus could have Continued in that way. But he chooses something different. He chooses to include in his ministry followers. First four and then eight more. Twelve. And then seventy-two. And then hundreds and then thousands and millions of men and women to join him as ambassadors of the kingdom. As ambassadors of God's kingdom which was coming. Which was arriving. Which was in the, per- the process of unfolding and being revealed and being shown of appearing in their midst. And we go through Mark's gospel. And as we do, it's clear that Jesus' disciples up to this point, And all the way through, actually, to his crucifixion and even beyond. Don't fully ever really understand Jesus. They sort of get glimpses. They get things. They understand things bit by bit. Coming to an understanding. But they're... They're still far from refined, far from perfect, far from complete in their faith, and their knowledge, in their understanding, in their maturity. Yet, Jesus trusts them enough. They don't yet trust Jesus enough. Jesus, though, trusts them enough to give them, to hand off to them, this mission, this purpose, this calling. Jesus was doing fine inaugurating God's kingdom on his own, but he chose to share the ministry. He was the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There is no other. There was no other. There will never be any other lamb who takes away the sin of the world. There was only one. But Jesus invited others into his ministry, partnering with him and advancing God's kingdom. And one of the reasons that Jesus did this was because in going is the growing. In going is the growing. Would you say that with me? In going is the growing. We learn when we do. There's a certain amount of learning that can be done in the books, in the classroom, online. But there's a whole different kind of growing that happens when we go, that happens when we do. In doing what we've seen in stepping out we understand in going regrow and like any loving parent god wants his people jesus followers jesus disciples his students his apprentices to grow spiritually continuously and there's a way to such but it has limits when we stay in our bubble verse 10 Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Stay in the first house you enter. Be content with what you're given. Be content with the hospitality you're offered. It's almost countercultural in some ways. Human nature and our culture encourage upward mobility. In every aspect of our lives and being. You can have more. Look for better. Seek out bigger. Get the nicer. Upgrade now. Jesus says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Be present where you are. Be content with what you have. Be thankful for what you've been given. Pay attention with respect to the people who are hosting you. Forget about being upgraded to first class. Minister, if that's where you are, in the coach cabin. Stay there. Stay there until you leave that town. A constant focus on upgrading one's accommodations, one's situation in life, one's context, one's environment, what one has, can, sometimes, Ruin one's soul, if not distract. Verse 11, But if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Which, when I read that, sounds kind of spiteful. But really isn't. Rather, it was this physical and visual way of washing one's hands of responsibility. Not of care, not of love, not of interest, not of commitment or devotion. But of responsibility. After having done what one is called to do, do, follow, go, be sent. And if they are receptive, they are great. And if they're not, that's not on you. That's not your responsibility. Be responsible for that which one is responsible for, but nothing else. We're called to be faithful more than we're called to be successful. How people may respond to us may be shaped by or affected by how we speak, by one's broader witness, by the love or winsomeness with which we speak, by our kindness or gentleness. But eventually people's responses to the gospel of the kingdom are not our responsibility. That responsibility belongs to the hearer, and it's really in God's hands, and we can trust God. And so Jesus says, just let it go. And visually, one of the ways they would do that, going back to Old Testament times, was just to kind of go. All right. And finally, verse 12. They, in other words, the 12, went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons. They did, and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Having been given authority by Jesus and having been told how to pack, what to wear, what to take, how to go, how to be, Jesus' students and apprentices actually went. They actually went. Which often today doesn't actually happen. We're short, we get the Bible study thing down. We get the devotional down. But in some ways, it sometimes in our culture today, lack the going. And Mark tells us that they preached, not from a pulpit or in a church, but rather they spoke, announced... Proclaimed. That's what the word preached there means to friends and to family and to neighbors and to strangers and whoever would listen to the good news of God's kingdom. It was breaking forth all around them. To God's news that was ha- at hand, to God's news, his good news that was available now to them in a way it had never been available to them before, and still is today. They preached and they drove out demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They preached. They drove out demons, and they healed people. One, two, three. And I realized that, that sort of now we're talking about things that are way outside of the comfort zone of most people who populate the pews of churches in America. Is it not true? Preaching, driving out demons, anointing with oil, and healing are just like from another context, another place, another century, another millennium, another world, it would feel like to most of us. And yet we believe that that which was true 2,000 years ago is still true today. And that Jesus was crucified and buried and raised to new life today. He then and is still alive today in just the same way. And we believe that the things to which Jesus called his disciples 2,000 years ago He still calls to today. Is it true? And the kingdom of God that Jesus of Nazareth inaugurated 2,000 years ago is still unfolding, still being revealed, still coming, still arriving, still available today as it was then. Just as much. Preach. Proclaim. Tell. Announce. Drive out demons. Demons. And anoint people with oil and heal them. Oh. Or wow. What did they preach? Uh, Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. And therefore repent because it's close. And I don't know about you, but we can be honest. Repent is just a cringing word for me in one way. Is it... Anyone else cringe when you hear the word repent? No, some yes, some no. In some context, what comes to our mind is an angry preacher on the street corner yelling at people and condemning people to death and to hell. But what if we understood repent as an invitation to life and as good news and as part of the good news as it was understood then? Repent is to have a change of mind, to go in a different direction, to live differently, to have a different way, to participate in a whole different way of doing things. And if your life is anything like my life when I am apart from Christ, what I need most is a change and a return and new life and going in his direction and not mine. Preach, drive out demons, evil spirits, unpure Impure spirits heal by anointing with oil. And historically, this anointing with oil healing enterprise has taken, in Christian history and in the history of missions, the form of the establishment of hospitals and medical clinics and medical mission trips, neighborhood clinics in poor neighborhoods, and things like that. But there is, there must be a real sense in which God still heals, even medically, physically. In very real and supernatural ways in our midst. And we still believe that here in this congregation. Though we don't understand it. Though we can't understand it, we can't manage it, we can't force it but we believe it. And you remember Willard's definition of believe. To believe something is to live and act and behave as if it is true. And while we still don't understand some things, we still can, in faith, choose to live as if those things are true because in faith we know that they are. And we wait for the appearing of such. So... The most foreign of these to me, of the three, is this driving out of demons, which we talked about a a number of weeks ago that I don't have a lot of experience with, I don't have a lot of knowledge about, I've not really done much of. So on Thursday, we get a call to the church, and a man says, I have a family member with an evil spirit. Would you come and pray that this evil spirit would go away? Well, i got a lot of books on my shelf. And I see this, but I don't have a lot of experience. What are we to do? Do it. Go. Pray. Follow. And so sort of uh, gathered up a couple of other people, Gladys and Rick back there. And in one sense, we don't know what we're doing. But neither did Jesus' disciples, I don't imagine, so far in what we know from Mark. And so we went, and Gladys got some oil, and we lived as if this thing was true. And we went, and we met, and we cared, and we loved, and we prayed, and we kneeled, And we spoke and we listened and we watched. And we waited. And there was a part of me, I have to tell you, that just sort of fully expected and fully hoped that this dear woman who was lying down, who looked like she could have almost been dead, was going to rise like Jairus' daughter. I was expecting, hoping, looking toward, hoping that that would happen and God would be fully glorified and we would all celebrate and go, oh, it's it's just like we read about. But that didn't exactly happen. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And when tears came to the eyes of the woman who otherwise couldn't move, and when her eyes opened, as they hadn't for a long time, I knew that there was truth in this. And I knew and I know that God wants us to follow in faith, even if we don't understand. And I believe, and I think many or most of you do too today, that though we don't understand evil spirits, impure spirits, demons, most of us, even if we've read the book, that we would acknowledge their reality in our midst. And so, as strange and foreign as this passage seems, and we're just in easy in a Presbyterian church to jump over that, but we're just going straight through Mark and not skipping around. As unusual and foreign as this stuff is to us, these are the things to which Jesus calls us as sent people, as disciples, as followers, as apprentices to preach to drive out demons, and to heal. And so after worship every Sunday, we actually fully believe that when we invite people to pray or to be prayed for, that there is a God who is with us, who heals, who brings things back together, who makes people well in all kinds of different ways still, though we don't understand it all. And so this passage calls us to get out of the boat and onto the water. It calls us to get out of the stands and onto the field. It calls us, Jesus calls us, to get out of the pews and into life. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport, but rather a life adventure into which God is calling us in faith and holding out for us a kingdom that is different in every way than the kingdom of Shannon or the kingdom of you or the kingdom of this world. Into this, God is inviting us and into this, God is empowering us with his spirit, with his authority. So this is for all of the 12. Again, none of them are ready. None of them are ready. None of them know all that you and I would like to know. None of them have all the answers at this point. None of them are educated. None of them have any experience in these sorts of things. They come from fishing and tax collecting backgrounds. No seminary training. No going to church. And yet into this different world, Jesus calls them. We often associate the word evangelism with these sort of things. And in the New Testament, there are these four different passages that talk about all the gifts of the spirit, the charismata, the spiritual gifts. Never is evangelism listed as one of those. But rather it's something that everybody is called to, something that God's spirit will empower everyone and anyone to do. Not because we have to, but because we get to. So, how's your packing coming? How's your preparing coming? What do you need? How does Jesus send you? Are you ready to go? Will you go in his way? Will we? Let's pray. God, remind us that our coming together, our gathering on Sunday morning, is part of the equation. But maybe a bigger part is you sending us out. In faith, in trust, you having entrusted us and us trusting you. To go where we don't know how to go and to go as we're not sure how to go or do or be. Help us to trust you not just when we sing and not just when we pray and not just when we have a need, but to trust that your vision for our lives and for the church is good and good not just for us, but good for the world, and that brings you glory. Empower us in your grace. Free us from legalism and dogmatism and half to ness Set us free to get-to-ness. And the joy of following your son, step by step, each and every day. Amen.